Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project, by me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet a blessed who had everything he wanted and let it all go. Name, Donizetti Tavares de Lima. Life, 1882-1961 Status, Blessed Feast, June 16th It was the 31st of May, 1955. The pilgrims were gathered in Tambao, in the east of Brazil, a little north of Sao Paulo. The town had been trying to keep up with the pilgrims coming through, but today, it was straining to accommodate the crowd of a hundred thousand. Now, airplanes flew low over the crowd, scattering flower petals. But it wasn't a joyful moment. Many in the crowd were openly crying. And then, the man they had all been waiting for came out. Tall, with close-cropped white hair, and standing ramrod straight, Father Donizetti Tavares de Lima was coming out to offer a public blessing for the very last time. The story that led to this strange final blessing had begun 74 years earlier. Donizetti was the child of intellectuals. His father was a lawyer, while his mother taught at a nearby university. His father was also a music lover, and so, instead of a conventional first name, he gave his son the last name of a favorite composer, Donizetti. Young Donizetti inherited his father's love of music. He also began to feel drawn to the church. His musical gifts led him to find a position playing the organ at a nearby seminary when Donizetti was still quite young. He studied, too, studying philosophy and theology at the university. His studies culminated in his ordination as a priest in 1908. Around Donizetti, the world was changing. Donizetti had been born into the Brazilian Empire, but when he was still just a little boy, the empire had fallen, and the first Brazilian Republic had taken its place. The massive wealth disparities of that first republic characterized the world in which Donizetti grew up. Now a young priest, Father Donizetti, found himself taking the side of the workers and of the poor. As he moved between parishes, learning from senior priests, Father Donizetti became the sort of priest whom young people liked, helping them discern their own callings. But even though this was not necessary for a parish priest. In private, Father Donizetti lived an austere, even ascetic life. He slept 
on a wooden board. He ate sparingly. And he constantly repaired the one thing he owned, his cassock, patching it and repatching it as it ripped or was damaged. And so it was that in 1926, Father Donizetti Tavares de Lima was given his own parish in Tambao at the Church of St. Antony. He would be there for 35 years. But the strange happenings around the Church of St. Antony began almost immediately. The next year, on the day of a procession, it was pouring rain. Everyone was resigned to trooping along and getting soaked, but as soon as Father Donizetti moved to the head of the procession, the rain stopped and sun began to shine. Locals took note. An odd coincidence. Father Donizetti turned out to have time for everyone, though people said he was most enthusiastic about those who had no one else, the sick, the old. Local peasants who came to tell him about their problems found that his counsel, and more than that, his blessing, was strangely effective. He blessed alcoholics, who reported that they no longer had cravings. Many in his parish couldn't afford to see a dentist. But Father Donizetti's blessings took care of so many toothaches and dental problems that he acquired the nickname the Peasant's Dentist. Still, most of Father Donizetti's time was spent building. He turned out to be an excellent administrator. He built an old folks' home, a food bank, a support group for mothers, two support groups for women, a football team, a band, a kindergarten, and he found money in the church's budget to help young people get their first houses. The parish was coming alive. These years were not without disappointments. In 1929, a fire tore through the church. The only thing not burned was an image of Our Lady of Aparecida, the patroness of Brazil. Meanwhile, the government changed again, as the chaotic First Republic gave way to the rule of the strongman, Getulio Vargas. Locals in Tambao knew that their priest was someone extraordinary. But they were far away from the big cities like Sao Paulo to the south. And the countryside might indeed have kept the secret of Father Donizetti, if not for the man who sold wine to the Church of St. Antony. The traveling wine merchant was suffering from rheumatism in one knee. The pain was getting so bad he could barely walk. He happened to mention this to Father Donizetti. The priest, now an old man in his seventies, put his hands on the wine merchant's knee and blessed it. The merchant felt the pain fade away. And then the merchant told the story of what had happened to him in Tambao to anyone who would listen, up and down his wine-selling route. The wine merchant's words started a trickle of outside pilgrims traveling to Tambao. They asked for a blessing, and Father Donizetti gave it freely. Grateful pilgrims often gave money to the church. The church suddenly had real money to spend. Father Donizetti had already shown that he could build things. 
Now he started dreaming big. He didn't need any money personally. He still ate sparingly and slept on a piece of wood and wore his stitched-up cassock. No, Father Donizetti's dream was to create something that would resound through all of Brazil. Father Donizetti began to plan for a great church, a grand church, in Tambao. With that church, Tambao would go from being just another small place in Brazil to becoming a holy city, a place from which renewal would flow outward. But perhaps, even now, those plans came with a shadow of doubt. And that shadow of doubt had a name, Father Cicero Romao Batista. Padre Cicero, as he was usually called, had died about 15 years before. He had come to rural Brazil, much like Donizetti. For Padre Cicero, things had started getting strange after a dream. In the dream, he saw Jesus, but Jesus was not friendly or smiling. Jesus was furious, furious at the evil that went unchecked in the world. And as he spoke in anger, he swiveled and his gaze fell on Padre Cicero. In the dream, Jesus had told him to take care of the poor. Padre Cicero had spent the rest of his life trying to answer that calling. As would happen to Father Donizetti several decades later, things had initially gone well for Padre Cicero. He grew his church, helped the poor, and gained their trust. Then there had been a miracle, a Eucharistic miracle, a relatively common occurrence in the history of the church. But Padre Cicero got into a fight with the church about its authenticity. The more the church examined Padre Cicero, the more ill at ease they grew with the almost cultish reverence he inspired among the poor in his parish. The church's concerns weren't without ground. Some locals were practically worshipping Padre Cicero at this point. Padre Cicero had addressed the problem by working around church authorities. He had gone into politics, eventually becoming immensely powerful in his region. The church had responded by restricting his ability to celebrate the Mass. Padre Cicero had done it anyway. The result had been a break with the church. As time passed, Padre Cicero came to regret the break with Rome and poured his energy into a reconciliation, a reconciliation he largely achieved. Looking back over a few decades, Donizetti would have seen a troubled legacy. With the benefit of almost another century, we can say that Padre Cicero is a servant of God on the way to sainthood himself. But even today he remains tangled up in a schism with splinter churches who continue to revere his memory. Back in Tambao, of course, there was nothing like the cult of personality that had gathered around Padre Cicero. Still, people were treating Father Donizetti differently. The Church of St. Antony was now full on Sundays, packed even. The locals were hanging on Father Donizetti's every word. But things were not out of hand. 
and they did not get out of hand until a newspaper in Sao Paulo published an article about the miracle-working priest in Tambao. Suddenly, the town was flooded with pilgrims. It got to the point where Father Donat said he could not get to the church, because in order to walk from the manse to the church of St. Antony, he had to cross a square. The pilgrims would crowd in, and were not above pulling a button or a bit of fabric off his cassock. Father Donizetti began giving blessings from inside a building. But to the delight of pilgrims, these blessings too were effective, and news of healings continued to roll in. The fact that he was becoming a superstar made Father Donizetti try to better explain why miracles mattered. He insisted that miracles were really not very interesting or important in themselves. They were signposts that showed the way to conversion, to bring people back to the church or closer to Christ. If miracles didn't accomplish that, what would be the point? By now, the pilgrims were coming not just from Sao Paulo, but also from surrounding provinces. Local drivers were running a profitable business transporting pilgrims, and the government assigned extra trains in and out of Tambao. The town had become a tourist destination almost overnight. It was now 1954. Many Brazilians had radios, many even had televisions. Since the pilgrims had discovered that Father Donizetti could bless them from within a locked building, they started to wonder whether a blessing could be passed on through the radio as well. A local station asked Father Donizetti to try broadcasting it, and he did, every day at six o'clock in the evening. His admirers would rush home to listen, and a short recording of this blessing has survived. Soon, Father Donizetti appeared on television. Someone made a movie about his life. Success brought new problems. By now, Tambao was being swamped by 50,000 new pilgrims a day, arriving by train, staying for a blessing, and then going back home. The town was finding it hard to cope. Also, Father Donizetti had been used to giving his opinion freely about the state of the poor and about what should be done. Suddenly, his opinion carried political weight. And was that such a bad thing? Father Donut said he had lots of ideas about things that could be improved. Maybe he should get involved in politics. Slowly, Father Donut said his superiors in the church began to worry. They convinced his bishop that there might be problems, and that Father Donut said he might be tempted to become a local power like Padre Cicero before him. 
the media picked up on the concerns about Donizetti and seeded the story that he was at odds with the church and would be shut down any day. Anxious pilgrims hurried to get a blessing while they still could. In the end, Father Donizetti's bishop was convinced that something should be done. His superiors approached Father Donizetti. Unlike Padre Cicero, he heard them out. I have to imagine it was difficult for Father Donizetti to listen to what his superiors wanted him to do. If his superiors had their way, there would be no holy city of Tambao. There would be no grand church. His moment in the spotlight would end. Everything in him must have told him to take the approach of Padre Cicero, to grasp at greatness and toss aside those who wanted to hold him back. But Father Donizetti had sworn obedience, and he was true to his oath. And so it was that one year after Donizetti mania had swept the area, Father Donizetti revealed that May 31, 1955, would be his final public blessing. When the day came, the crowds were bigger than they had ever been. And then, it was all over. Father Donizetti lived quietly in Tambao. He no longer celebrated Mass in public. A new priest was brought to the town of Tambao to fulfill the duties of the parish. And before too many years had passed, Father Donizetti was all but forgotten by the people who had been his greatest admirers. From his semi-retirement in Tambao, Father Donizetti sensed change in the air, although he knew he would not live to see it arrive. A military government would arise in 1964, and, beginning in 1962, the Church would be transformed by the Second Vatican Council. He was especially troubled by a dream in which he saw a demon enter a church to do battle with the church's patron saint. The demon had come to tear down the altar. To Father Donizetti's horror, the demon was accompanied by a group of priests. After Father Donizetti's death, the news of the dream spread through Brazil and gave second thoughts to many priests considering radical reform in their churches. Why, then, is Father Donizetti a manly saint? In one way of looking at his life, he had greatness in his grasp and then let it slip through his fingers. If Father Donizetti had maintained course, grown Tambao into a holy city, perhaps he would have built something that could withstand the wave of change. On the other hand, he might have been a source of schism, like Padre Cicero. Perhaps, in a world without men like Padre Cicero, the worst elements of the Church would prevail. But in a world without men like Father Donizetti, there could be no hierarchical Church at all. Father Donizetti built more in a year than most men will build in a lifetime. But when he thought it was right, when he thought that doing so was his priestly duty, he turned on his heel and left all of it behind. This 
is the manly virtue of self-control. Although, of course, Father Dunnett said he did not leave everything behind. The church had told him to stop his public blessings. They had said nothing of what he did in private. And so, as he went into retirement, Father Donizetti left the world with this promise. Every day, at 9 a.m. and 8 p.m., I will give my blessing to everyone in general, without witnesses and without watchmen. The blessing will be valid as if the person had received it personally. Just have faith in God.